Father, we pray you'd send your Holy Spirit afresh to us this morning. We want your touch. We want your presence. We want you. And I pray, Lord, as we go through this this morning, there would be just an incredible expectation that everyone has that they're going to meet with you. They're going to reach out. They can take that step. And thank you for what you're going to do in advance. We pray for miracles. Pray for signs and wonders. We pray for an infilling of your Holy Spirit. I pray for a, um, a realization, Lord, that we are in a new season. In your name we ask, amen. I hope you've come expectant this morning. Two of you have? Three? Good. We could, go, we could get going all day until everyone says, yes, fine, we'll, we'll be there as well. Right. Last week, last two weeks, we spoke on being prepared, and we talked about the need to be prepared for what's coming. Here was how to do it. So we spent a couple of weeks on on that, and I'm here next week. The next two weeks, we're away as a family. The following week after that, Nigel Tween is with us. Whilst we're away, Phil is preaching, and uh, Michelle's taking a family service on Easter Sunday, so you'll have a good diet of messages whilst we're away. Um, Let's put up the first slide. I don't normally preach messages like this, and this is a little bit more how I used to preach in detention, and I thought I would just go off, I called it going off the deep end this morning, and uh, trying to bring you along with me, and hopefully you'll understand what on earth I'm on about. In Isaiah 43, God's message to a people who had experienced exile, persecution, having been removed from their land, feeling hopeless, God had this message for them. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? That's a word for somebody today. God is doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Now, on one hand, God is always doing new things. Every day, it's a new day. It's a new thing. He's giving you every breath. Head above your uh, roof above your head. Um, he gave you a heart that's continuing to beat. And he's always doing new things. There's always new growth of things. There's, there's always new spiritual things that are also going on. Um, and we talked about this as a home group this week. And, you know, it was like people had experienced revivals in their heart the last couple of years of, of completely dark towards God and now are walking in the light, which is such an exciting thought that God is doing new things. And I, do you know, a lot of the spiritual life is about taking hold of what God already has for you. It's very difficult to be passive with God, just thinking, well, if he wants to do it, he can do it. He can touch me if he wants to touch me, and I'll just sit back here and wait for things to happen. Well, actually, the pattern is draw close to God, and he will draw close to you. Draw close to God, you know, and we live in a world that's, that's like, previous of God to me, I, you know, I'll sit back in my armchair, and if, you know, if it, we kind of think, like, God has to do the work here, God has to make, you know, every first move, 
God has already taken every move necessary, friends. It is up to us to respond. Up to us to draw near to him. Then he will draw near to us. Up to us to say, Lord, you have died for me. You know, we talked about it after this week. It's not enough to believe Jesus died on the cross. It's, did Jesus die for me? There's a chasm of a difference. Yes, uh, I believe Jesus died 2,000 years ago on the cross. Well, lots of people believe that. The devil believes that. But did he die for you? And that's where belief comes in. Yes, I believe he died for me. God is doing a new thing. I mean, hasn't the last couple of years been chaotic? Horrendous. And God is doing a new thing. I wonder if we perceive it this morning. And I, I, was, I was praying, and Lord, what do you want me to speak on this week? And as I often do, and feel get led to something. And I felt, I felt, so, you know, you know, I go as far as I can with that to say, I, I really believe this is a message for our church. God is doing a new thing. We need to take hold of what, what God has for us. Simple as that. Take hold, reach out, step out what God has for you. Are you with me so far? Oh, I've got a great message this morning. Next slide, please. Now, this is a drawing, not a photo. A couple of guys called, um, this is going to be a bit of a history test this morning, Lewis and Clark. Ooh, the great explorers of America. The year is 1803, and Thomas Jefferson has commissioned an exploration of the waterways from sort of the mid-east of America right through their new territories that they have. The next slide, please. You can see where they start on this journey from what was the United States through what was Louisiana, um, that they just acquired that whole area in purple. Lewis and Clark, known as the, um, the, a, a corpse, a traveling corpse, they amassed a set of people and they had canoes. They were navigators of rivers. So they went up the longest river in America called the Missouri and they were looking for a way to get through to the Pacific Ocean. And as they went on their journeys, you know, they traveled obviously hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles. They, they produced the sort of early maps of America and produced, uh, showed what flora and fauna was around and discovering lots of new things. And as they went on the journeys of, they were so used to navigating rivers and canoeing and everything that that required, they were sure that how long this whole journey was going to take. But then... Something stopped them in their tracks. And that thing was the Rocky Mountains. Which, as you can see, the top of the uh, page-ish, uh, heading to, uh, to the sort of the west coast of America, um, is the whole sort of range of the Rocky Mountains. Now, what good is a canoe in the mountains? I am not an expert on canoes. But I can see that there's a problem. Canoe and a mountain. So guess what they had to do? They had to ditch the canoe. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need to ditch the canoe. Because <laughs> you can't canoe up the mountains. As far as I'm aware. I'm sure someone will say, well, you can't. Anyway. 
The other thing that happened is they needed guides to get through the Rocky Mountains. They didn't have enough navigational skills to work out how to successfully navigate the Rocky Mountains right through to the Pacific Ocean. Next slide, please. So they had to get indigenous travelers to go with them. A particular lady was picked upon, as it were, to be the main sort of tour guide through. They made friends with tribes. They stopped um, certain tribes fighting each other. And, and, and in American history, everyone, if this was an American church, everyone would know Lewis and Clark, like back to front. They would know this story much better than I do. But it's an incredible story because what it teaches us as a church, as people, is that we go on an expedition expecting to use what we understand until we reach the thing we don't understand. And then we've got to completely change tack. It's as it were, I mean, take yourself back almost two years to the day, 23rd of March, 2000, uh, two years to the day, 23rd of March, 2020. It like life was about to change forever. And we kind of vaguely had an idea it might be coming, and suddenly, boom, church was online, thinking it might be a few weeks of this. My, my boss was saying, oh, we'll have a big celebration in about six weeks' time. We'll all come back together, have a great big party. COVID was over. Well, here we are two years later, and we're thinking, well, maybe COVID was the big event. And everyone's like, oh, COVID, COVID, COVID. And now we've got a war in Ukraine. Now we've got cost of living crisis. And um, all the time we're saying, in a way, we're, in a manner of speaking, we're saying the canoes are no longer use that useful. We're always leaning back on what we've learned in life experience, but this is new territory, isn't it? I mean, that's how it feels to me. It's always new. And um, we miss out if we don't grasp God is also doing something new. You know, um, we'll get on to the next bit because I think this will be really helpful. Uh, next slide, please. So, um, as you study church history for the last 2,000 years, there have been something called a revival. It's, it's a bit of a blanket term for basically a move of God. And it's to say that when God moves um, through his Holy Spirit, through people, a lot of people then come to Christ. And it doesn't stop there. It normally, starts with, um, it normally starts with a lot of people coming to Christ, and then that transforms society. Because so many then are Christians that it ends up changing the laws, the structure, education, health, whatever it is. It, whatever gets in the way, as it were, gets sort of changed. But if you study it in detail, the question is, why did the revivals occur? And actually, what you see is they were a, rea a spiritual reaction that God was doing to what was happening at the time. In this country, or I should say the UK, the last big revival, you would say, was the Welsh Revival of 1904-1905. And what then happened was um, uh, in the Welsh churches, there was a huge outpouring of the Spirit. That then eventually led to Elim which is what we are as an Elim church. And it was the Pentecostal movement that had started in the States, came over to Wales, exploded in Wales, then in England, and is by far the largest denomination in the world today. By far. Um, and is the fastest growing in 
in pretty much every single country in the world, including this country, where we see now the Pentecostal church is by far the, the church doing by far the most church planting, growth, the largest churches in this country, all Pentecostal churches. And um, Elim has a, a flagship one up in London. It was a 15,000 at one point. It then split up into different groups, Filipino, Spanish-speaking and things. But uh, the main church, I think, is about 5,000 still. And then you've got churches like KICC, which is a Kingsway International Church. They have approximately 12,000 people in a single campus in this country. So the largest churches, including the largest church in the world, which is in South Korea, has approximately 800,000 people attending the single church. There's a, um, I was at a meeting a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it was a black uh, friend, a Nigerian guy. No, he wasn't from, he was from um, Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast. And he said his mentor pastors a church of 150,000 people, all Pentecostals. But why did it occur? Well, what had happened in 1850 onwards, this is quite important for us, is there had been an enormous move in the scientific world, rationalism, modernism, a way that said we don't need religion anymore. People like Darwin and evolution was like abounding. And there were all these thoughts coming into the church, and the, and the church capitulation said, maybe they're right, maybe the Bible is wrong, maybe we can't trust the Bible. And Christianity looked like a dead religion. People would come into a church, read off a sheet, and go home. And they were like, that's, that's Christianity for most people. Like, you sing some songs, and say some words, you go home, you might read a Bible during the week, you might pray, but there's nothing to expect more than that. But then the Pentecostal movement came and said, there's more. God was doing something new. And the Holy Spirit, and so what happened was, a church meeting like this, someone would start speaking out in tongues, other people would be falling over, other people would be prophesying, people would be like, what is going on? But it was a breaking away from the rationalism of the time that said you don't need anything more than these words on a sheet. Fast forward a few more years, and many of you, I think, have been part of churches where there have been moves of God. Um, the church I used to attend in Crawley in the mid-90s, we had the um, Toronto and the Pensacola outpourings in the States. The pastors went over there, came back. People started falling over. Now, I've never fallen over. I don't know if any, anyone here fallen over with power of God. A couple, okay. I never experienced it, but I tell you what, it whetted my appetite. It whetted my appetite that there was a Holy Spirit that was interested in people, and he wanted to empower people. Now, I've shared my, my, my testimony a number of times with you. I shared it with Home Group on Wednesday because it's like um, they, they hadn't heard this, but the Holy Spirit is the reason I am standing in front of you today. I couldn't give it anything else any other credit. What I mean is I was a very quiet, shy unconfident person right into my mid-twenties. There's no chance you'd ever catch me up here, which is probably what most of you are thinking. You'd never catch you up here, right? That's how I thought. I'm never going to be up. And, and I remember giving an announcement somewhere in my late, my mid-twenties, right? And I remember <laughs> the most awful experience of my life. Everything was sweating. I couldn't think. I had brain fog. Anyway, I eventually, bizarrely, got a job as a chaplain and then, like, day two into the job, the, the pastor said, I want you to preach next week. And I was like, I hadn't even thought this through. What am I going to do? What am I going to say? It went, and it went atrociously. It's like God wants to make a point with us, isn't he? 
It's like awful. It was, it, I, I'm so embarrassed how bad it was, other than to say um, it was very short. I thought it was like an hour long, and it was only a few minutes long. And then the, the preacher decided it was so bad, he would get up and preach a great sermon afterwards. Like, so I'm like, and I was like, Lord, I'm just going to quit this. I'm not good at this. I'm not cut out for this. I can't do this. And at that moment, I said, I can't do this. I felt like God said, perfect. I'm going to do this through you. And it was like week two, everything had changed. And suddenly I was burning alive with the gospel. And it was like words just came and stories came. And I could, like, the Bible opened up to me. And um, I, won't, I won't go through all the stories of how the Holy Spirit has changed my life. But I want you to get a taste that this is for you. God wants to do a new thing in your life. Is there an area of your life that you could point to to say, I wouldn't do this unless the Holy Spirit had transformed me? That's the point I want you to get to, to say, well, listen, is everything you've got, could you naturally have done it anyway? Because that's the sign of the Holy Spirit, that there are things you couldn't naturally do. He has to fill you with himself to supernaturally empower you. So we talked about philosophy, rationalism, modernism, all coming in. And uh, then came the Pentecostal revival. Let me show you this next thing. This may be helpful. So they say every 500 years, there is a huge um, revolution in the Christian world. Obviously, 0 AD, Jesus came. Church started. 500 AD, Pope Gregory, Gregory the Great brought the church out of the dark ages, out of the incredible superstitions, Oh, it was so backward leading up to that point, really, the sort of from approximately AD, uh, 300 AD through to 500. The church had become so institutionalized, it become this controlling force. It become all about an empire and Christendom, really. And it was dead as a, as a doornail. And Pope Gregory, to a huge degree, brought the church out of that to say, this is somehow a living, breathing, moving faith. And we need to start evangelizing with this. Around 1000 AD is what we call the Great Schism. If, you don't know, if you've not heard of that before, that is where the Catholic Church itself split and became the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church. Up to that point, it had just been the single Catholic Church. One church really uniting everything. That's a simplistic way of seeing it, but that's essentially what it was. And the Orthodox Church came out of that split and went essentially over Eastern Europe, Russia, and those places. And the Western Europe um, was essentially Catholic. Fast forward another 500 years, we had the Great Reformation. Again, all of these things had come as a result of what was happening in society. God decided to move, to change his church, to, to break it free out of the shackles. The Reformation, that's where most of us feel like, oh, I know this one. The Reformation, um, Martin Luther... Uh, 1517, 95 Thesis, um, to to the Cathedral of Wittenberg, and he says, this is where the Catholic Church has been corrupted. And he talked about um, so many things um, that the church, it's the big thing the Catholics believed, and often still believe, is that the church is Jesus. That everything has to be funneled through, you have to join the church to be saved. That's why the priests give you forgiveness. That's why you say the Hail Marys. And uh, you had to give indulgences, which was the payment of your sins with physical cash. Rome, the Vatican City, has been mainly built on indulgences. It's terrible, a terrible history. Martin Luther recognized all of these problems. 
put it in 95 reasons what was wrong, and then we had the Great Reformation, which took a little while to get going, but the Lutheran Church, through to the Anglican Church, um, Protestant, Protestant churches, Methodist Church eventually, eventually Baptist churches, all of that had come out of the, the Reformation. Bring us up to speed where we are now, I would argue the big shift that has then happened has been the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That is already happening and beginning to happen and is exploding across the world. Is this making sense so far? Cool, we're going to go somewhere really cool this morning. So next slide, please. The church has to continue throwing off the things that are restricting growth, like trying to canoe the mountains. Let me ask you the question. You've had two years of thinking about this. How many of you, I mean, I, I, I'll be first on this list, you've spent two years thinking. You've been forced to be isolated, and I mean, I've thought through everything a million times, because I've had the time to think. And uh, you're just not in contact, you're not in the same rhythms and cycles of things, so you, you're able to think. And it should spur us to say, what things are we ready to give up? What things are we saying? We don't need that anymore. We had that moment as a church to think, you know, when we gathered, what things do we want to get rid of? What things should we start new? And we started some new initiatives as a church. But it was a great sort of reset for us. This is one of the pictures. Um, I think this is Mariupol. I guess no one could probably correct me otherwise. But... You know, I was looking at a lot of the pictures from the news this week and thinking, take a block of flats, for example. How long did it take to make that block of flats? A year? I don't know, two years? How long did it take for families to occupy them and to decorate them as they wanted, to put furniture in, to inhabit them as homes, and for it to be familiar and the place people would grow up and consider it their home and their neighborhood, and they made a community? Years, years to create all those things. And then how long did it take to destroy it? A split second destroyed. I mean, isn't that like sin? How destructive is sin? And I thought, you know, what a picture of evil it is that a bomb comes in and it destroys in a moment what took years to build. And, you know, when you see the pictures of Mariupol and, and Kharkiv and uh, all these places that have been decimated, been flattened, don't you look at it and just think, what a mess we can make of things. What a mess. What destruction, how easy it is, how long it takes to build something, and how quick it is to destroy it. Let me just say this as an aside. Do you know in the Bible, we are never told to fight the devil? You are never told to fight the devil. The only fight we're told is to fight the good fight of faith. There is your war, there is your battle, it's the, it's the battle of faith. What we're told, how do we combat the devil, is submit yourself to God and the devil will flee. So we don't have to fight the devil. We don't have like an arm to arm. I don't know how we do it anyway. We sort of throw prayers at the devil or something or bind things. It's like, no, you have to submit to God. You fight the war. And the war is sort of faith. It's what you believe. 
And um, we're told just to put on spiritual armor. And this is, this is going to be a real crux of what I want to share with you this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, this life is not about you. This life is not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. Some of you are really enjoying saying that. I heard this joke the other day. It is a joke, okay? But, you know, don't you get really annoyed with someone who just talks about themselves? When really they should be talking about you. I mean, <laughs> hasn't two years of COVID made us, I mean, just talking for myself, not for you, but hasn't it made us self-centered? Isn't that the thing when you, when you are forced to be isolated, you've only got the internet or something to communicate with the outside world, you become very self-centered, self-focused, self, 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 self self. And, and one of the things we explored as a church is how easily people get offended nowadays. Like, even more so than they were two years ago, even more offended, easily feel let down, hurt by other people. And we need to be reminded, this life is not about you. And it's not about me. We don't gather for ourselves. We gather for him. Your life is not about surviving it, making it comfortable, making sure you get through to the deathbed, all in one piece, trying to make sure that everything is just fine and beautiful and just as you want. That is not what your life is about. That is not your purpose. That is not God's will and intention for you. His intention is that you would shine for him. You'd be a light for him. You'd be salt for him. You'd show the rest of the world what he is like through you. That your life wouldn't be consumed with me, 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 me. It would be consumed for him, 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 him. Someone say amen. Because like, like this, I can't even begin to describe how transformational that single truth is. When you've worked out, your life is not about you. It isn't. How depressive a thought if it was that case. If life was really all about you, your iPhone, your iMac, your iTunes, your I, 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 me, 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 me. I mean, how, I mean, if you've ever been down that road, I certainly have, of where it becomes all about you. What do I want? What, what, my dreams, my this, my that. How depressive a life is that? Because you'll reach the end and it'll never be enough and you'll always want more and you'll never be happy and you'll be the most depressed. And then, of course, people let you down. So you feel hurt. You feel betrayed. You struggle with unforgiveness. We spent a couple of weeks talking about unforgiveness. And all of these things come into the melting pot because it's all about me. It's about me and people are hurting me and I'm not recognized for what I've done and people aren't validating me. And it's like, it was never about you. You're free. It's all about him. Is making any sense to anyone? Is it just me? Is like getting off on this? Here's something that needs, you need to let go of. Say goodbye to your old negative mindset. You don't need to live that way anymore. You don't need to live your life. You know, the first thing you, you know, maybe you've already done this this morning, so I wouldn't hear any conversations, but someone said, How are you doing? And your first thought was, How am I doing? Oh, I've got a pain right here. I've got a pain here, I've got a pain here, oh, I've had a bad week. It's like self-consciousness on steroids, just like how am I, do, how am I, how am I? And it's like, get rid of that negative mind that consumes almost all human beings on the planet, consumed with self. You are not living for you. Today was a gift that God gave you. You didn't deserve today. God gave it as a, as a gift to you. The sun is shining. 
And you probably didn't say, thank you, God, for a beautiful weather this morning. Maybe someone did. We didn't thank God that this, in this building at a great temperature. We never considered, oh, thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God, for a roof. So if it did rain freakishly, we'd be dry. Thank you, God, for the clothes that I'm wearing. Thank you that I've got a heart beating, lungs working, brain cognitively working. Thank you for family. Thank you for mothers. Thank you for people in my life. Thank you for the house that we live in. Thank you for food that we had this morning or later we'll receive. I mean, how much have we got to thank God for before we start realizing, wow, these things are a gift. I don't deserve them. They're not my right. They're from his generous hand to me. Doesn't that change your mindset when you go through the day being grateful rather than critical of it? Because we can all, I mean, I don't know about you, but I find it very easy to be critical. Lord, it's like one degree too hot in here for my liking. I wish that window there was open and it's just a little bit too bright for my liking. Could you, you know, we could all play that game and what's wrong with the body? Well, I've got this hurting, this hurting, this not quite working. It's like, really? I mean, where does that lead to other than depression and sadness and other problems and looking at everyone else saying, well, you're not doing right by me. You're not treating me right. You didn't look at me right. You didn't say the right words. You didn't ask me about my day. We need renewed minds. Um, can I share a confession with you this week? I'm going to confess something anyway. So, I realized this week I've become addicted to the news. When I say addicted, I won't put a figure on it. I just noticed I was watching the news a lot. I was watching it or listening to it a lot. And um, do you know what happens when you feed your mind with a lot of news? You feel really quite down. I was noticing I'm feeling quite anxious. All these people telling me I should be anxious. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that problem. Oh, no. What's going to happen about that? I mean, don't talk about nuclear war, but other than to say we should be anxious. That's what they're all telling me. Be anxious, be anxious, be anxious. Cost of living, be really worried about what's going to happen this year. I'm not belittling, I'm not saying it's not an issue, I'm just saying. When you feed your mind with all of this stuff all the time, guess what's going to happen? You're just going to feel depressed. And you're going to be thinking, what can I do to work it out? What do I need to do to get into in things in place? And I got addicted to it. And I'll be the first to say, I got addicted to the news. So you don't have to admit if you got addicted to it, but... And I felt God say, you don't need that much news in your life to know what's going on and to what to pray for. You know, I mean, some of you are old enough, okay, to remember the days when the news was what happened at 6 o'clock in the evening. Or 8 o'clock, or maybe if you worked long days, 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock news. Who remember those days? You have 24 access to all the news in all the world and all the time now. So you really have to say, how much of this do I really want to hear? Do I need to hear all this stuff all the time? I felt God say, you know what? This is how much you should probably have of the news. Just take that amount. And I immediately, I just felt more relaxed. Stopping letting all this negativity all the time come into my heart, into my, into my head. I think I've got another slide. If you were to ask me, and we, we toyed with this in home groups, so... I don't know if this is a God thing or whether it's just us thinking it through. Or maybe it's a bit of both. Maybe it's a bit of expectation of what God wants to do. Here is what I would love to share with you. If I asked you, bearing in mind 
what I've said about past revivals, how God corrected what was happening in society and he made the church again to be the light of the world. What would it look like now for the church to be the light of the world? What move would God, we imagine, do? What things should we be expecting for? What things should we seek to become? And, um, you know, by and large, our group said, you know what, people are just so anxious now. And I was uh, pastoring a church. How many of you guys struggle with anxiety and cares and worries? We live in that age of, like, mental health is just going through the roof as a problem. And on one hand, it, 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 our ancestors would say, why are you worried? You have the most comfortable lives ever. Why are you so worried? But we would say, actually, there is something in the age, as it were. There's something in the air that makes people worried and anxious. And we would give all the reasons. This is what Jesus said in in John 14. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. How many want that in your life? Have you ever wondered to yourself, how do I get what God wants for me? We kind of think, God, well, well, if he wants to give it to me, he can give it to me. Kind of passively, and, and this sort of sense of, it's all God's, it's all on God's sort of side that these things happen. I believe God wants us to partner with him. There's a move we make, and God does the rest of the movie. Um, someone explained it this week. A.W. Tozo is a favorite author of mine. He was a pastor in the States, um, died decades ago now. But he said, to explain how God works, and this was only his view, and I realize not everyone will agree with this, and so you know, bear that all in mind. He said, it's like a cruise liner growing from New York to Southampton. It is the, the plot, um, the course has been plotted, and so it's like God has said, it's going from A to B, from New York to Southampton. That is the way it's going to go, whether you like it or not. There is nothing anyone on board that ship. The captain's decided that's the direction it's going. What is happening in our world is very much like that cruise ship. Jesus knows when he's coming back. It has been decided. We don't know when that is. The course has been decided, but the people on that ship are free to do what they like. I like that picture. And you see, with God, I believe that you can, you look at those verses, and we talked about meditating this week, and to say that, you know, meditating is not emptying your mind, it is filling your mind with the Word of God. And I would encourage you, if you're someone that struggles with anxiety and fear, here's what I would do. I'd take a verse verse like that, and I would say it over and over and over again until you have it memorized. And I'll be saying, Lord, I choose your peace, and I will choose not to be afraid. We kind of think God will remove something from us, and sometimes he does do that. But I think actually a lot of these things are a choice. My choice wasn't to say to God, I'm addicted to the news, Lord, help me with my addiction. It was like, just stop watching it, because that was within my ability to choose. I could choose not to watch most of it. And to say, Lord, I don't need help with getting rid of my addiction. I need to stop my part, and you'll do the rest. 
So what happened? I stopped my part of watching the news so much, and God filled me with his peace. Very simple. And I think for a lot of us, we say, look what Jesus says. I don't give to you as the world gives to you. The world gives to you peace, as it were, through yoga, transcendental meditation. It does it through listening to calm music. It does it through, um, you know, any of these bizarre methods, looking at a candle or something. Jesus doesn't give you peace that way. He gives you peace by himself. He is your peace. He gives himself into you. And he transforms your mind. He renews your thinking. He helps you see this is not about you anyway. You, don't, you can relax. You can't stop or start a nuclear war. I've got that in hand. So I'll give you a frightening statistic that is actually very comforting. Frightening and comforting. Um, I read this this week. Um, the U.S. have a statistic that every single year that you're alive, there's been a 1.1 chance of nuclear war somewhere in the world. That has been the case since the 1950s. 1.1 chance. That means if you live to the age of 50, there's more chance that there would have been nuclear war than there wouldn't have been. Because that builds every single year. But there hasn't been one. Here's the reason there's not been one. Because they're saying, by far, there should have been quite a few already. God has not allowed it yet. God is in control of the world. He is actually sovereign. He is in charge. The bad things that happen, God does allow. But he reaches a point where he says, no more. And that's why we don't have to worry about those things. God is in charge. I'm not in charge. Putin is not. He thinks he's in charge, but he's not in charge. He has a a small amount of influence, but God will say, only so far and no more. Here's, um, here's where I'm going to land. I'm going to pray for us in a moment. You know, we don't come to a God saying, prove yourself, Jesus. Prove yourself, Holy Spirit. You know, we come to a Heavenly Father. Jesus described it like this, that God wants to give us good gifts. He wants to give us his Holy Spirit. And I pray for us as a church that we would have hearts that are open to him, even this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We, we come, and maybe our starting place this morning is just to say, we choose this morning to be hungry for you. Maybe we don't even emotionally feel that way. But Lord, we, we want you. We want the gift of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Whatever the problem we have, we know Jesus is the actual answer. Maybe people in this room, you, you need a touch in your body for healing. Well, Jesus is the answer for that. Some of you, you've got so many worries and burdens that you carry. And Jesus is your answer this morning. Some of you, maybe it's a money problem and you just can't get your head around, is Jesus really my provider? Is he really my employer? Is he really, is he going to let us sink? And I want to encourage you this morning, Jesus is the answer. And in the West, we're so used to working it out ourselves, finding the outcome that we're after. We don't even turn to him in prayer. And 
you know, all these things happening in the world, may they draw us to our knees to say, Lord, we cannot do this without you. We are vulnerable without you. We have no refuge other than you. May you reveal yourself even this moment, Lord, as the God who always provides, who always looks after, who heals, who renews our minds. Lord, we are hungry for you. We are thirsty for living water. We are hungry for the manna from heaven. We don't want to see in a history book about um, revivals and people being filled with the Spirit a long time ago. We want that to include us. We want to be a church that is led by God's Spirit and not by a person. We want to be a church that are stepping out in faith, that we grow in boldness and courage in our faith as witnesses. That, Lord, you would fill your church to be empowered as witnesses of you. Not doing things in their own strength, not just trying to survive life. But saying, Lord, this life was never about me. And I live, I pour out my life for you and say, Lord, I surrender everything I have. You are mine and I am yours. I'm now hidden in Christ. I've been bought with a price. I'm no longer my own. I belong to you. I'm now a child of God. The precious blood of Jesus has, has covered me. It has atoned. It has changed me. I am now a joint um, inheritor with Christ. Whatever is Jesus is now mine. Every blessing in the heavenly realms has now been given to me. I mean, how much more do we need? But Lord, I recognize the, the step of faith that it takes. Because I don't believe Satan even cares if we attend church. We kind of think, man, if we'd just gone to church, that would be enough. Maybe he doesn't even really care much. We read the Bible. I guess he gets a bit anxious. Oh, they're reading the Bible. Maybe they're praying. What he cares about is when people believe and people take the step to say, I believe this is true. And I stand with the truth, and the truth sets me free. We thank you, Lord, that we, within ourselves, we don't have the truth. You are the truth, and you come and live inside of us. And Lord, we need to give up those canoes, some of us. There are things that we need to give up to say, Lord, these things have been holding me back. This thing is preventing me from all that you have for me. And um, Lord, I pray you'd expose the lies, expose the things that are um, preventing us from going further in you. In your precious name, church said, amen. 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 Well, I hope that has been useful. I hope you've got something um, excited within you. And um, I'm really happy to pray for people at the end. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time, if you like, I have no idea what that is, and you want to come chat with me, please do so. Otherwise, have a wonderful day. Be blessed, and happy Mother's Day.